Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Have you ever felt deserted, left all alone? When we uh, lived in Minot one Sunday after church, we left one of our little kids at the church. <laughs> Didn't realize that I think it was until both cars got home and, and someone was calling us on the phone. Um, that kid has never let us forget it. Um, he wasn't really alone, though, um, since there was another family still at church there with him, and we quickly drove that mile back to church and picked him up. But he was temporarily deserted by his family. Well, there are people that go through far more traumatic experiences uh, of being deserted in their life than that uh, due to various circumstances uh, beyond their control in their lives. Uh, People who end up without any relatives or friends close by or who are actually deserted by those that used to be close to them. The Apostle Paul, toward the end of his life, went through literal desertion by some whom, that, whom he used to count on, and, and also some feelings of being deserted by others as well. And, and we get a glimpse of that as we look in the final verses of uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 today, which is the end now of, of uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy. I invite you to stand in reverence to God's word as, as we read today, beginning with verse 9. <clears throat> Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and also the books and, above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. And the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all of the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Lord God, we thank you for this letter as we've been spending time thinking of the very end times of uh, Paul's life and the things he was going through, Lord. We can identify with some of the feelings he expresses even here today, and we pray that you would speak to our hearts and that you would remind us of what Paul reminds even Timothy of here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated.
<clears throat> a number of years ago, I, I did a study of the Apostles Paul's discipling ministry, and, and I was struck by how for really most of Paul's years of Christian ministry, he was far from alone. When you read through the book of Acts, for instance, you see Paul on his missionary journeys, and just about always there is somebody with him. On his first missionary journey, it was he and Barnabas that were sent out together. On his second missionary journey, he took Silas, and then at Lystra they picked up Timothy as well. And even when Paul, during that journey, was imprisoned in Philippi, Silas was there in prison with him. Uh, on his third missionary journey, he had several other traveling companions. There was Gaius and Aristarchus, and later also Sopater of Berea, uh, Secundus of Thessalonica, Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. And, and that's not all either. As I added up, all the ones that are mentioned at least twice in the book of Acts or in some of Paul's letters, I found that there were at least 21 different co-workers and traveling companions of Paul. You see, Paul was a discipler. And about everywhere he went, he brought along with him other men whom he was training and with whom he was sharing in the ministry of the gospel. But at the end of, of Paul's life, he is almost all alone. And so let's consider some of the reasons that are expressed here of, of, of Paul's <clears throat> being or, or of his feeling deserted. Uh, there was the one who left because of worldly distractions. Demas is mentioned here in verse 10. Um, he's also mentioned in, in Paul's letter to Colossians and to Philemon as being a fellow worker that he sends greetings to. <coughs> but by the time of Paul's writing here of 2 Timothy, something had changed. And we aren't told much about this except that Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. And he's gone to Thessalonica. Somewhere along the line, things of the present physical world had become more important to Demas than eternal things. And we aren't sure if, if uh, he had become materialistic, you might say, or if he got scared off by persecution of Christians going on, but, but he fled his connection with Paul, and, and possibly with Christianity as well. So think of my own life. I remember some times uh, feeling rather keenly something. I, I felt uh, there's this pattern that seemed like when I was in high school where there were kids from my church that identified with Christ during Bible camp in the summertime, but then seemed drawn into the worldly crowd and the beer party scene during those school year, and sometimes would even make fun of those who didn't join with them. At times I felt deserted. Maybe some of you have felt some of those same things at times. Well, besides Demas, who, who deserted Paul for worldly things, uh, there were also those who were simply called elsewhere at the time. And, and Paul mentions them here, uh, Crescens and Titus and Erastus and Trophimus. Verse 10, Crescens had, had gone to, Del, or to uh, Galatia. Titus was sent to Dalmatia. They hadn't deliberately deserted Paul. They were just doing the Lord's business in other locations. And the same was true of Erastus. Verse 20 mentions him. He, he stayed on in Corinth. And Trophimus uh, had been left ill in, in Miletus. They, they weren't rejecting Paul or the work. They just, for various reasons, were not able to be with him at this time. You know, at times I've felt a, a bit deserted in the work of the church here 
Uh, you might say, by various men who have spent a good deal of time with me and who we've worked together in leadership, and then they've moved on to other states uh, due to job changes and various other things. And, and it's bittersweet to see them go. If the Lord is moving them on, we certainly wouldn't want them to stay, but it's still hard to let them go when you've been so blessed by their friendship and partnership and ministry. And, and Jay, you're one of those today. And there have been several others over the years. And you know, some of us have also felt a bit the same even when our own kids move far from us. And uh, even if we're confident that they're following the Lord's will for their lives, there's that feeling of being deserted. Well, Paul had felt some of that regarding his own former co-workers and traveling partners. And then there were those that wouldn't risk defending him. You look at verse 16 here and he says, at, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. And we don't know just what the charges were against Paul at this point. There are historians who tell us some things about what was happening in Rome among, with Christians at the time. And there were those that were being falsely accused of, accused of various things. For instance, they were accused of atheism because they didn't worship the emperor. Um, cannibalism because they spoke about eating Christ's body in communion and disloyalty to Caesar because they worship Christ. But anyway, with severe persecution going on and even killing then of Christians for their faith becoming common, uh, when Paul first came to trial, it tells us here nobody risked standing with him. They all fled. One commentary described this as Paul's Gethsemane. It was a bit like Jesus, who when arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, had all of his followers flee for their lives. And Paul, like Jesus, prayed that their sin would not be held against them. And then there was, uh, at the time, Paul writes here, though, there was one who hadn't deserted him, and that was Luke. Uh, Luke, the one that wrote our Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, was with Paul at the time in Rome. And Luke was also a physician and likely attended to Paul's physical needs even while he was there in prison. But besides feeling deserted by some that had been close to Paul in the past, there was also this blatant opposition that he was experiencing. Verse 14 tells us of Alexander the coppersmith. He said, he did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. We don't know much about Alexander besides his occupation, but a more literal rendering of verse 14 goes something like this. Alexander informed many evil things against me. Which may mean then that Alexander was the informant responsible for Paul's second arrest. And not only did Alexander seem to have a personal vendetta against Paul, but it's also clear that he opposed the message that Paul proclaimed. Verse 15 here, he says about him, Beware of him yourself, Timothy, for he strongly opposed our message. Alexander was an enemy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's this that leads Paul then to say, in verse 14, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. And we can learn from the Apostle Paul in this as well. If, if we have those who don't like us because of the Christian convictions that we have or, or the message that we stand for, it's not for us to deal with them. That's the Lord's business. And that was Paul's trust regarding Alexander. 
And there's one more thing that we need to remember when we face opposition as Christians, and that is, who's the real opposition behind all this? Verse 18, here he refers to every evil deed. And you see, Paul recognized that what is behind all evil ultimately is Satan, who is out to squelch the gospel any way he can. I'm reminded what it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, which Paul also wrote there. And he, he describes it this way. The God of this world has blinded their minds, the minds of the unbelieving, so that they will not see the light of the gospel or the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And I don't know about you, but I find myself continually frustrated these days with the craziness of the agenda of the woke crowd. And over and over, I have to remind myself, or my wife reminds me, Satan has blinded their eyes. So they do not grasp spiritual reality. They are pawns of Satan and do not realize the great harm they are causing. Well, as Paul is feeling deserted and is openly opposed by Alexander and others and knows ultimately that Satan is behind the opposition to the message of the gospel, Paul had some simple requests of Timothy as he expresses some ordinary human needs here. And uh, we see that there as we look on. And I think of his requests here, they, they can be summed up maybe as this. As people to keep them company, a cloak to keep them warm, and scrolls and parchments to keep them occupied. He, he longs for companionship there in prison, someone to visit him there. And, and it seems that one of his dearest friends on this earth is this young man that he trained and he left at those churches at Ephesus there, Timothy. And so he writes to Timothy and he says, come soon. Come before winter. Time may be short. Come while I'm still alive. Yes, Paul is, is ready to, to lay down his life for the gospel and he's looking forward to it. He's anticipating heaven like we talked about last week. But at the same time, he is also longing to see his son in the faith again. And we get a glimpse here then of that feeling that I've seen sometimes in some dear brothers and sisters in Christ who know that they're coming to the end of their life. And they're ready to go, but they're still longing to stay with those that they know and love who are still here on this earth. The other person that Paul mentions he longs to see is a rather interesting thing here. He says, bring Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Do you realize who Mark is? This is John Mark, who was with Paul and Barnabas on that first missionary journey. This is Mark who, who bailed on them partway through that journey and whom Paul said about him, we're, we're not taking him with us again. Remember what he did the last journey. This is Mark who was a cousin of Barnabas and, and who Barnabas wanted to give another chance. And Paul said, nothing doing. And it resulted in Paul and Barnabas going separate ways. But now, Paul is saying, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. The, the Lord apparently had been at work in Mark, even after Paul was ready to give up on him. And, and Paul had seen that, and now has a confidence in him. And, and so never underestimate what God can do, even in people that you might be ready to give up on. Think about Mark and who he was he went on to write the second gospel that we have in our Bibles. A powerful account of the ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, besides P 
people companionship. Paul asked Timothy for some stuff. Some simple, ordinary, but important stuff. Bring the cloak and the books and the parchments. A, a, a cloak to keep him warm. In, in that cold, dank dungeon of a cell, Paul was probably chilled to the bone. And, and the cloak was a heavy outer garment, and it suggested maybe even Paul had been arrested at Troas and hadn't even an opportunity to take that with him. And, and then there were the books and parchments he mentions, or another translation says the scrolls and parchments. And again, we don't really know what the content of these scrolls or, or parchments was, but, but it's been suggested it might have even been Paul's copy of the Old Testament in Greek, which would have been a treasured item for him. And you know, though the Holy Spirit can minister directly to our human spirit, he often uses means, and particularly the written word of God. And Paul very likely was feeling that need. John Stott describes it this way. He says, when our spirit is lonely, we need friends. When our body is cold, we need clothing. When our mind is bored, we need books. To admit this isn't unspiritual, it's human. And there are natural needs uh, of uh, mortal men and women. And, and so he tells Timothy, bring those things with when you come. And as we look on here, though, we see this. We, we, we see Paul's confidence in spite of it all. Though all deserted me, the Lord stood by me and rescued me. That was Paul's testimony. As he looked back on his life, and now particularly at this time he's incarcerated and on trial, even when all the others deserted him, the Lord didn't. And he's rescued me over and over again, he's saying. And I'm reminded of what we're told in Hebrews chapter 13, where it says, For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what will man do to me? And, and, and you know that part there in Hebrews uh, where he says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you? That is actually a quote from the Old Testament book of Joshua, where God is telling Joshua as a new leader, just as I've been with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Might have noticed my sermon title today. Deserted, opposed, undefended, but never forsaken. No matter what comes our way, even if it would be death by martyrdom, it is still God's promise to his people, I will never forsake you. Do you recall when Jesus hung on the cross and the weight of the sins of the world were placed on him What he hollered? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was describing how at that moment God the Father poured out his holy wrath on his son and he was forsaken. So that we sinners might never have to be forsaken but instead could be forgiven and restored to a relationship with God. There are a couple of other things I want to point out to you about Paul's confidence in the face of martyrdom here. <clears throat> uh, he says there, through me, the message might be proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear. Paul was so confident that God had a plan for his earthly life and that that plan could not be cut short before it was complete. And, and that plan was to proclaim the gospel of forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ in such a way that even Gentiles all over the place would hear about it. And now here Paul was, a notorious follower of Jesus Christ. He was in Rome, the capital city of the Roman Empire, 
and his imprisonment in the cause of Christ had become known even to the emperor himself and all over that city, and that was part of God's plan before Paul died. Is it our ultimate concern as well that our lives would so reflect Jesus that he is what people would remember about us long after we're gone? Paul's further confidence is expressed here in verse 18. He says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Paul had known God's rescue many times before in his life, and we can read some about that in various parts of his writings. And he believed that when at last it was time for him to die, then he would experience the ultimate rescue. And the Lord would transfer him from this world of sorrow to himself and his heavenly kingdom, and he was confident that he would be safely delivered there. And that's the confidence he wants each of us to have as well. If, if we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we talked the other week here in our new members class about this, how do we know for sure of a relationship with God? And in 1 John chapter 5, uh, I love these verses, it says, the testimony is this, God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. And then he says, these words have been written so that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants us to know. And, and Paul closes this letter then with some personal greetings. And, and we get a little glimpse then here of the, of the sweet camaraderie of brothers and sisters in Christ here. And he has greetings to the folks that are at Ephesus. Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Uh, Aquila what was a tent maker like Paul. And he and his wife Priscilla spent a year and a half as part of a congregation in Corinth while Paul was there, um, before then accompanying him on his second missionary journey. Then he left him at Ephesus for a while um, with oversight responsibilities before Timothy got that job as pastor there. And, and then later, apparently for a time, they also ended up in Rome. And a congregation was meeting in their home. Onesiphorus was a runaway slave who was converted under Paul's ministry, and he'd, he's told about in Paul's letter in our Bibles uh, to Philemon. There's also some greetings from some folks in Rome. He says, Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. And these were all Christians that had been in Rome at some point and, and likely had maybe even visited Paul in prison. And again, we don't know much more about them, Though history records some interesting things, including that after the martyrdom of Peter and Paul in Rome, there was a man named Linus who became the first bishop in the church at Rome. And lastly, then we have also a final benediction. As Paul ends this letter, he, he says, The Lord be with your spirit. Just as Paul has become convinced that no one else um, even if no one else is with him, yet the Lord is still with him. So he wants Timothy to have that same assurance in his own life. And the Lord wants to leave each of us with that as well. You know, there are some things in our lives where we will have to go through relatively alone. For instance, uh, some of those things uh, when you end up in a hospital are like that, aren't they? For instance, if you have to have an MRI... You end up laying on this flat surface and being slid into this white tube and you lay there stiff for a half hour uh, and, and no one can go in there with you and no one can hold your hand. You're all alone as this machine makes these uh, loud pounding noises. 
But if you know Jesus, you're not alone there either. He goes with you there and anywhere else you ever go. And that's Paul's last reminder to Timothy here. Don't ever forget this, Timothy. The Lord will be with your spirit. You see in verse 22, the Lord will be with your spirit. Grace be with you. And back in verse 18, then he points out to him, Jesus, and be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you today for the life testimony and witness of the Apostle Paul, for how you used him to help to spread your gospel far and wide, how you strengthened him to serve you in various situations, even to the end of his life. And thank you, Lord, for the record that he left for us that we have in our Bibles that teaches us so much about you and a relationship with you and living the Christian life and being a part of the church. And Lord, we thank you today for that reminder that no matter what we go through, even when we feel deserted, even if we are deserted by others, even if there's a strong opposition against us personally or against uh, the, the witness that we have, a testimony of belief in you, yet, Lord, we are never forsaken. You are there with us in all we go through. Help us to be willing to be bold, to, to stand as witnesses for you in, in whatever circumstances you bring into our lives. Uh, we pray, Lord, if there be somebody who today does not know for sure of a relationship with you, that, that you would even today remind them that as, as you hung on the cross for them and experienced being forsaken by God the Father for that time, you did so so that none of us would ever have to go through that, but we could know that in Jesus there's forgiveness of our sin and there's eternal life. And we rest in that, we, we anticipate that, even as we continue to live our lives here on this earth. And we pray that you'd help us to live recognizing that you have a plan for each of our lives and to live that out um, following you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.